Our sermon this afternoon is from Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Sanctified. See if I can find the right page here. It's hard to believe that this Monday, which is Labor Day, in which a lot of people don't labor, I thought that was kind of interesting. Somebody mentioned that in the news. <laughs> labor Day with no labor. But the week after that begins trumpets, and then the Wednesday after that is atonement. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're all coming up on us, and boy, just really, really quickly. There was a lot earlier this year in September. Uh, and so we're all looking forward to it, and I hope everyone is making plans for that. Now before we get into the message, let's go to a courtroom in, let's say, Mississippi. And on the bench is an elderly grandma. Go look at my wife. She, that's, not, that's not her. And uh, she's there prepared to answer some questions. So, in this small town, the prosecuting attorney called his first witness, a grandmotherly elderly woman, to the stand. He approached her and he asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs. You've Think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you've never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you, she says. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She again replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted. He has a drinking problem. Can't build a normal relationship with any, anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he's had three different women. One of them is your wife. Yes, I know him. And the defense attorney nearly died. The judge asked both of them to come up to counsel and to approach the bench. And a very quiet voice that says, if either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, you're going to go behind bars. Anyway, I thought that was funny. You know, seriously though, it's interesting. We do have a prosecuting attorney who sits in judgment of us all the time. I mean, I read that and then I got to thinking, wow, yes, and he knows us a lot better. Well, of course, God knows us too, but this, this one wants to, to really put us down. We find that in the book of Revelation, verse, in chapter 12. I want to just read that because I want us to know a little bit about our enemy, the adversary, that helped with all the things that Reg brought out. <laughs> you know, he's kind of in the background of a lot of that's going on out there. Of course, a lot of human nature is also part of it, but he would love to see us go right down the tubes, and 
we're making a very good splash at it. In uh, Revelation 12, 9, just 9 and 10, I'm just going to read these two. The great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and the strength of the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. It's interesting that in the scriptures also it shows his modus operandi and how he comes to uh, even face God on our against us. We can see that in the book of Job. It's, it's a very interesting scenario in the courtroom in heaven. And we see how, well, if I find the courtroom in heaven here, sometimes I lose it. Um, he's, um, there we go. Beginning in Job, the, the first chapter, just, just a few verses here. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, said to Satan From where come you? And of course, Satan is always a little bit on the uppity side. He answered the Lord and said, From going to and from in the earth and from walking up and down in it, because he's kind of confined to the earth. That's where he's supposed to be stationed. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. He says, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is yours in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. So it's kind of an interesting scenario, isn't it? Where he comes before God and he asks for Job to put this burden on him. One more area. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came. And you all know the story, so I'm not going to go through all of it. Everybody, I think, really understands what happened to Job and the different things that happened. But I'm wanting to bring this to for a particular purpose. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself to the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you, from, uh, where come you? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to, to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? And still he holds fast his integrity, although you moved him against me, uh, you, you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. It's an interesting scenario. Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and flesh and he'll curse you to your face. 
The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hands, but save his life. So Satan, uh, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown, and he took him a pot surge to scrape himself, and he sat down among the ashes. Then his wife, a very helpful wife, said to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, well, you know the rest of the story and how God then showed himself to him and he had to pray for, for his three friends because that was a, uh, not too good for them. Today I would like to talk about sanctified. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the, the first chapter. As Paul brings out something very, very interesting here, and I'm hoping that um, we'll understand God's work a little bit better, what he's doing for us, how he's working out our eternal life. Beginning in, just in verse 2, and this is all I want to read. We'll come back to this a little later. Well, actually, I think I'll read the, the first two verses. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and softened our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that, all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, understand that there may be a Corinth over there, but the people that <laughs> this was written to no longer are alive. They're all in the grave. So the only people that are reading this today, and I'm reading it to you, and I've mentioned this very very many times, is you and I. So what is written in this book is for you and I. So when he talks about sanctified saints and those things, he's talking about us and our place in the kingdom and, his, and what he is doing. This word is sanctified is very interesting, and I, I actually found a, I've got this word studies, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his, his name, Woost, W-E-S-T, Word Studies of the Greek New Testament. It's got some very good things in it here. I'd like to read just a few paragraphs here on this particular word. The word hagios, when applied to God, signifies his opposition to sin manifesting itself in atonement, in redemption, or in judgment. Or as holiness, so far as it is embodied in law, must be the highest moral perfection we may see. Holiness is the perfect purity of God which in and for itself excludes all fellowship with the world and can only establish a, a relationship of free electing love whereby it asserts itself in the sanctification of God's people, their cleansing and redemption. That was a statement by Creamer, whoever he was, not by this particular unit, this guy. And underlined very, very boldly here the words saint, as you... If you're doing a study, remember, this one word covers saint, sanctify, sanctification, hallow, holy, and holiness. Now, this is only in the New Testament, of course. It, was a, it would be a derivative of the Greek word Haggai, H-A-G-I. And that's, you know, that's not the Greek, probably not the Greek pronunciation of it, but the verb means to set apart for God. The verb means to set apart for God. It refers to the act of the Holy Spirit setting apart for God, the sinner, who was elected to salvation, 
taking him out of the first Adam and placing him in the last Adam. I thought that was a pretty profound statement. If you go and read it in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, you'll see uh, how that works out and how that is, um, how, what that is a part of. This is positional sanctification, an act performed once for all of the moment the sinner places his faith in the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And I might, I might put in there, uh, it repents and is baptized and accepts as Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. This is followed by progressive sanctification, a process that goes on through the earthly life of the Christian and continues throughout eternity, in which that person is being gradually conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That person is called a hagios, a set-apart for God person, a consecrated person. He is, as such, looked upon as a non-secular person, a distinctly religious person, in that he has been set apart for God, his worship, his service, that he is positionally, uh, and it's easy to see that this set apart position of separateness demands a separation of life in his own sphere of life. From everything that would interfere uh, in the least from the worship and service which is due uh, the God to whom he is set apart. This is a saint in the Bible sense of the term. So when we look at sanctification or holiness and how um, even something that might be physical is set apart, I want to give a couple of examples. And one of those is in Exodus, the third chapter. Remember Moses was in, and I'm just going to read a few verses here. And Moses was tending sheep. He was away from the Israelites, away from Egypt, and yet God was going to call him. And here's how it began. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame and the fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I think all of us might be very curious about that. And I know I've said that before. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not near here. Put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. So, in this particular instance, this bush, this place, this instant, God made that holy. He set that apart so that Moses would come and see it and bow down and worship right there. So God set that apart. We find also in the beginning, at creation, God setting, setting something else apart. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 1, 2, and 3, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day and all his work, which he had made. 
God blessed the seventh day. Interesting. He blessed it. And sanctified it. By resting on it, by blessing it, he set it apart. He also, that also became holy because God set it apart. Because in that, he rested from all his work which God created and made. So here we have another instance of God taking a day of the week and making it holy. That's why we observe the Sabbath, because God has set this day apart. He has made this holy. And we we went through Leviticus 23, and we, we believe that the holy days also, because they are holy, set apart assemblies. And that's the reason why we we keep them and we believe in keeping them. Now let's turn to Mark, the second chapter, and ask a question. Because if our Lord, who made this statement, believes that, I mean, if we believe that he did did away with all of it, then he's no longer having any responsibility for this day. He says... In Mark, the second chapter, and beginning in verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Behold, why do they do on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said, Have you not read what David did when he had need and was hungry, and he and they were with him, and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat of the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a blessing for men. You know, some of us used to work seven days a week. I remember I... Uh, or we would um, work six days and, and we would uh, play the, the seventh day and we would no, not rest. We would just constantly work all the time. And so it's a real blessing to have the Sabbath to truly rest. So he says, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Well, he loses his lordship if there is no Sabbath. But we know that that is still in effect. And God still blesses it and still takes care of it. John the 10th, now let's look at some things in the, in the realm of sanctified. Let's first start with Jesus' words. Because we want to know that Jesus was holy and set apart and sanctified. So we go to John the 10th chapter. John the 10th chapter and beginning in verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones against to, 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 uh, to stone him. And Jesus said, answered and said, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone you not, but for blasphemy, because that you have said that you, are, uh, you, you make yourself God. And Jesus answered and said, Is it not written in your law? I said to you, You are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say you of him whom the Father has sanctified 
and set into the world, you blaspheme because I said I am the Son of Man. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So Jesus was sanctified. He was set apart for the, for the mission that he was given, which was to preach the gospel, to preach repentance. And also, we know that he understood that he was also to sacrifice his life for us. Uh, he was to give his life. Uh, now we have Paul's commission and works. Remember, Paul was out persecuting the church. I mean, trying to kill everybody. And even was there when, he, when Stephen was preaching this powerful message and said, I want him dead. And, and so they killed Stephen. Because Paul, whose name was actually Saul at the beginning. So now Paul has a commission because Christ has called him. And, and, and the fullness of that commission is actually found in Acts, the 26th chapter, because Paul re, reiterates this and gives us again to, the, um, to Agrippa. <laughs> because Agrippa wanted to hear what, what he had to say. And let's beginning in verse 13. At midday, O king, I, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them that was journeyed with me. And when they were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecute you me? It's hard for you to kick at the pricks. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. I am Jesus whom you persecute. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen, and of those things in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom now I send you. To open their, their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from a power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin, inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So, in this, even though he was talking about his mission, Paul was set aside to go to preach these to this. He was go to preach to the Gentiles, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin, and the inheritance among them which are set apart, sanctified by the faith that is in me. And so Paul's commission was laid out in chapter 20, in just one verse, verse 32. We see, And now, brother, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. So with what we, um, what we understand, we become a part of those who now have that inheritance and we are sanctified or set apart, made holy. All of the different words that you want to use in, in that structure, we're saints, 
Those are all part of the same, essentially the same word. So let's go back to where we started with this sanctified. Let's go back and, and read all three verses of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. And let's see a little bit more here as we see that Paul's message to the Corinthians is a, is a profound message. Paul, called to be an apostle, as we just saw what he was talking to Agrippa about, his calling, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sophonies our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are set apart, are holy, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I, I wrote down here, uh, and I have one more uh, chapter to go to, but I wrote down here, do we all own the words? That's what I want to I want to express today. Do we all own the words? Are do we um, do we believe that we're held accountable for the words in God's truth? And I think I think uh, in your own hearts you can answer that question. Do we own the words, and do we believe that we are accountable for what is written? Especially if you were called and have been baptized and are walking in this way and believe that God has sanctified, set you apart, made you saints, or you are called saints. So we go to chapter 6 now, and let's look at uh, some verses in chapter 6. Um, let's make sure I'm in the right, oops, I'm not in the right place. I went all the way over there. Okay, beginning in verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteousness, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicator, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, uh, covetous nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Reg went through a, a great deal of of the, the problems that we have in the nation, and even in the world. Um, idolatry is all over in the world, and even Satan worship is becoming so, so out in the open. Used to be people, I'm a, you know, a worshiper of Satan. No, now we, we have uh, these things that look like Satan reading to, to little two and three-year-olds and five-year-olds in, in libraries. This really is scary. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. So we, we go through, the, through baptism, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and now God calls us set apart, sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's see how far I wanted to go with this one. I want to go all the way to 20. Okay. All things are not lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be 
uh, brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both uh, it and them. Now the body is not for, uh, for fornication, but the Lord and the Lord for the body. God has both raised up the Lord and will raise up uh, and will also uh, raise up us by his power. Knowing you not that your bodies are the members of Christ, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For, for two, says he, shall the, uh, be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So uh, we are, we're all part of the body, but we also have one spirit that guides and leads us. And it's because God, the Father, and Jesus Christ dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. But he that, joined to the, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that man does outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's, uh, which are God's. Once again, for you are bought with a price. What price is that? The blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the price that was paid for us. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Now, let's look and see what Hebrews has to say about this. Let's go to Hebrews, the second chapter, as we look at uh, some more uh, interesting things on being sanctified. By the way, I, there's no way I can cover everything <laughs> about this. Uh, by the time you take in holy, um, sanctification, sanctified, sanctify, uh, saint, uh, you've got a lot, a lot of looking up to do. Um, beginning in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him uh, for whom all things and by whom all things, um, yeah, bringing in many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all uh, of one, which, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So, he sanctifies, and we're sanctified, and so we're all one. Under the umbrella of the loving Father and Son who has called us. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the church, and I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who thought, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. 
Wherefore, all in all things it behooved him uh, to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in him, uh, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he also um, he is able, also, uh, able to succor them that are tempted. So, let's go on to... Um, chapter 10 as we look a little deeper into that and we're going to visit hopefully if I've got some time we're going to visit the courtroom again before we're finished today um, chapter 10 verses uh, beginning of verse 3 but in those sacrifices there was remembrance again made of sins every year I'm just breaking in of course uh, and if you want to get the context of what's going on but uh, I'm just breaking into the, to the, to the subject matter. For it is not pro- possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body have you prepared me. In burnt offering, sacrifices for sin, you have no, you have no, ple- had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written to me, to do your will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you would not uh, you would not neither have pleasure therein which are offered by the law then said he lo I come to do your will O God so Christ came down and remember the whole book of John said the words that he spoke were the words that the father wanted him to speak so he takes away the first that he may establish the second by the which we are uh, by which we by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all so by that sacrifice of Jesus Christ we become sanctified we're made holy you know the Bible talks about what we were before and sometimes you know, with the sins that we have and the things that we do and stuff, sometimes we wonder. But because of the sacrifice of Christ and the blood that he shed and, and some other things that he's doing on a regular basis, we are made holy. We are sanctified. Every high priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has has perfected forever them that uh, that are sanctified. Let's um, skip a few verses here. I mean, we could read the rest of that chapter. It's all very, very uh, profound. But let's go to uh, chapter, same chapter 10, but let's pick it up in verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he that <clears throat> thought worthy, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an ho- unholy thing, and has done despite to the spirit of grace. There's always there's beautiful, wonderful, wonderful things in the scriptures that should encourage and strengthen us. But there's also warnings 
in the, in the scriptures. And this is one of those warnings that we need to take seriously when we think about baptism and even t- take seriously through the, all of our life as we, we live this way. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. The Lord shall judge his people. So let's, uh, let's turn to Ephesians now as we look again, this time in some of Paul's writings in Ephesians, Second uh, Thessalonians, First Peter, and then back into Hebrew. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians 5, beginning in, in 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Husband, love your, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. And it's interesting that there was a lot of washings in the washings. <laughs> I'm still noki. Um, washings going on in, in the Old Testament. Cleansing washings. You could not go before, the priest could not go before God without being washed in, the, in their service. They had to go. There was many washings that happened. And, and the Bible says we are washed because of the cleansing power of the word and of Christ's sacrifice. So we are even though we're still physical, we're made holy, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the, uh, by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Anyway, I'll put that in there. Let's go to the Second Thessalonians. I've got this out a little bit out of order, and I'm not even sure that I gave uh, Brian this one. But it, was, um, it came up in my study. Second Thessalonians beginning in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 13. We are bound, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Take these words to heart, brethren. Um, own them. I don't know how else to put it. Own the words that are in the Bible. If you, if you don't own the words, you, they, would, they just become words. If you don't own the truth, it just becomes um, kind of non-binding. But if you own the words and you inculcate it, and it, it becomes more binding to your own life. And you live more fully in the word. So he says, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereto he called you by our gospel to obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions 
which you have been taught, whereby, whether by word or by epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. So, like I said, these are profound words that we need to put into our hearts. Let's take First Peter next. Let's look at First Peter, the first chapter. And these are also powerful scriptures here. Um, Peter goes on for 15 verses, and they're so in this first, uh, my first page. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Like I said, um, we have to we have to, to accept that these people are all dead. This is for us today. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, to obedience. So, he's, he's called us, he, and, and, and sanctify us, and we're sanctified to obedience, of, of keeping his word, doing what we um, know to do, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you, peace be multiplied. Blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible. See, you, we all can be encouraged with the words that are, that are written. To an inheritance. So there's something out there that's not like our old bodies that's getting older and older and corrupting. It's incorruptible. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the whole chapter talks about the resurrection. So the inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And the reason why that is is because we're holy to him. We're holy to God. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it is tried with the fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I mean, when all the saints come up, and they're all glorified, and they're all bright as the sun, and we're all standing before God, don't you think that's going to be glory? That's going to be tremendous glory. Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving to the end of your faith even the salvation of your soul, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come to you, searching what of what manner of time the spirit of Christ which which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow to whom it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they did minister the things which are now reported to you 
by them that have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. He says, Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so you, uh, so be you holy in all manner of behavior. Now that word conversation is actually conduct or behavior. So that's Peter's powerful message to us. That we've been separated, but we're, we're holy to God. And, and we're very special to Jesus Christ. And, and we're part of the plan that he has for us in the kingdom. So in Hebrews now, I have one more here in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, beginning verse 13. It says, it reads, <laughs> the book's saying things to us too. Then the sixth angel sounded, oops, that's the wrong book. Let's try, let's try Hebrews and not Revelation. Um, why was in there? Beginning of verse 13. Okay. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifer sprinkling and unclean sanctifies to the purifying, purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the new, it says testament, can be testament, can be covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's what being sanctified, separated, made holy, saints, all of that, that we are called to receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Eternally being in the kingdom of God. Whatever they desire for us to do in that kingdom. And I'm sure that we could not imagine any of what we are about ready to receive in that kingdom. So let's go back into the courtroom. Um, and, and let's see what the Bible says about that courtroom. First John the second chapter, and a couple of verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Um, I think this is the right one. Yeah, I think. I'm not sure where I was. Maybe it's the second chapter. I don't think I know. Um, I'm not. Uh, let's go to Hebrews, the 10th the chapter again. Uh, I'll just drop that one off there for right now. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
Here is the power that we have. It is right here. No matter what the accuser says, we can enter into the holiest of holies by the, by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. We have an audience to the very Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have that wonderful audience. And yes, Satan is there to accuse us, but we also have a powerful high priest. Let's, let's look at Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Beginning in verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with, a, with an oath by him that said to him, The Lord swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better, it says testament, but it can be a covenant, an agreement. And they truly were many priests because they were not permitted to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And that's very important, brother. Remember on the Day of Atonement, that priest did all of that and sacrificed all of those things. Well, Jesus, right now, every day, not just on the Day of Atonement, but all the time, is there as our high priest. He, he takes care of, of the things before the very throne of God. He has... But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 24, 25. Wherefore he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, blameless, or harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. Who needs not daily, as those high priests offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of oath, which was since the law, makes the son who is consecrated. In other words, he's separated. He's, he's appointed to this very position forevermore. Forevermore. And it's wonderful to have him there. Now, the things which we have spoken, this is the son. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and the tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. And that's Jesus Christ. And I, I want to find this one. I'm not sure whether I just missed. Um, let me go back real quickly here. Oh, it's, um, yeah. I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> Let's go back to the first John. Because I wanted to finish up with this. Because it's, it's important to understand in this courtroom um, drama in which there's a which um, there's an accuser there day and night there's also a more powerful being than Satan. 
One of these days, Satan is going to be tossed out, tossed away, and have no part. And this is the powerful, my little children. That's us. <laughs> Jesus is saying, my little children, these things write to you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. A defense attorney is what it really means. We have a defense attorney sitting up there in heaven who's there with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation. He is that appeasement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when, whenever you go before God on your knees and, and realize <laughs> that you're bringing whatever, your petitions before the very throne of God, because that veil has been opened. It's, it's for you to go there. It, realize that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He loves us very much. He wants us to be in the, the kingdom. He's preparing places for each and every one of us. And one day, um, we're going to stand before them, and Jesus is going to to praise us before the Father. And I know that. I think he's, especially if we stay with it, and we stick there, and we don't give up. Yeah, we're going to slip, we're going to fall, we're going to um, sin, we're going to have things. But because of what's going on in heaven, and the power that is there through Jesus Christ, and our judge that is the Father, it is a wonderful thing to know that they love us so much that they want us in, in, in their kingdom for all eternity.